Good morning. I get to say that twice every Sunday morning. It's nice. So my name is John Mueller. I'm the lead pastor here at Sunlight Community Church. I'd like to welcome you here this morning. Uh, Spark, which means if you're in junior high, can go out to the fuse box now. At the beginning of the sermon, we kind of want you to go out to the fuse box. And so if you're in junior high, I'm not going to freak out if you walk out the back door, okay? All right? Usually when people walk out the back door, it's kind of scary. But um, I just, I just want to encourage you, there's so many things that are happening in our community as a result of, of you partnering with the church. And so our whole series this month is called Ministry Partners. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a quick survey here to start our service off. If you attended Sunlight more than 20 years, raise your hand. Okay. If you've attended Sunlight less or more than 15 years, raise your hand. Okay, if you've attended Sunlight, the people that have attended the longest, you're going to have to raise your hand a lot, so sorry. If you've attended Sunlight more than 10 years, raise your hand. If you've attended Sunlight more than five years, raise your hand. If you've attended Sunlight more than two years, raise your hand. Okay, if you notice, the numbers got bigger, but even at two years, there's some people that didn't raise their hand. So here's what I'm telling you. We have something that's different than membership, it's more like ministry partnership. We want to partner with you. And so you may have gone through a class or something at Sunlight, and it would, be, would have been different based on when you were here and what pastor was here. And some of you that have been here a long time understand what I'm talking about. And so we want to, as a church, do a study over this month of what it means to be a ministry partner. And we're actually going to do that in our service. We're going to have sermons that are directly targeting ministry partnerships in the New Testament. And so we are excited to do this. And so we're starting this series, Ministry Partners, which I love this picture. If you have kids, you know that they try to make capes out of anything. And so this cape is a garbage bag. Those glasses look like they're from Kanye West. And I don't know what the light is at the top, but it reminds me of Captain Planet from the 90s. Any 90s kids? Captain Planet. So they put their hands up and become Captain Planet. So... And so, really, we're partnering together as the church, the bride of Christ, to, to do ministry in our community, be ministry in our community. And so today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, and we're going to hear about the Apostle Paul. We're going to hear about what happened when Paul was, was first met Jesus. He was persecuting Jesus. And so, once you're in the Bible app, if you're in the Bible app and you have uh, version on your phone or your iPad... You go down and you click on the right-hand side. There's a right-hand menu. You click on that, and then you click on events, and you can have our notes inside on your phone. But before we get started and we get in God's Word, we need to ask him to move this morning. And God continually has been moving in the church and, and doing different things that, honestly, even as a pastor, I don't expect because God's doing it. There's no way to plan for it. And so I want to I pray this morning for that. Heavenly Father, we just ask you this morning as we read your word, as we process through, God, what you have given us in your word, as we look at the, 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 the first steps of what it means to be a ministry partner, to partner with God, to partner with the church, God, we want to see you move this morning. Those, those that haven't taken these first three steps, Lord, we pray that this morning would be an opportunity to do that. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us and transform us and help us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that as we look at the example of Paul and we see how you worked in his life, that we would be able to see 
your bigger vision for this church and for our community. We say all this in Jesus' name, amen. So I've been a member of a few clubs in my life. Um, I was a member of a soccer club. I know soccer's not really popular in northern Indiana, I don't think. And I was a member of a soccer club, and the church, mostly in the United States, has this term called membership. And you become a member of a club. What's the first thing when you become a member of a club that you want? You have expectations, right? You want something. You, you pay $50 in dues, and then you get to go to meetings or whatever it is. For me, probably with my kids would be I'd pay $50 and I'd get a ton of Legos, okay? So that'd be the best club I could be in. But you get something. And, and people go into clubs and become memberships, and they say, what do I get from my membership? Instead of having the mentality of what can I give to those I'm around? So I want you to flip this around. So membership to a church, to a club, we're looking out for ourselves. But if you're a ministry partner, you're all about the kingdom of Jesus. It has nothing to do with you. In fact, the more you gets out of the way, the selfishness that you have, and the more you're about the kingdom of Jesus, something changes. Partners share the workload. You know why partnerships in business fail? Because one partner doesn't share the workload. Anyone ever have a business deal go bad? Well, it's because the partner didn't do what they said they'd do. And so partners share the workload. They're looking out for others. They're all in with pursuing Jesus with their time, their talents, and their treasure. That, that is the entire capacity of a ministry partner right there, summed up in a few sentences. This month, we're going to be covering what it means to be a ministry partner at Sunlight Community Church and what it means for the church what it means for the leaders of the church and our relationship with Jesus Christ and how that changes when we think of partnership. So I want you to turn with me to the life of Paul. In Acts chapter 9, we find Paul that is actually Saul, if you noticed, if you read ahead. If you look at Acts chapter 9, he's Saul. And he, he actually went from being a partner to death. He wanted to murder believers to a partner with the kingdom of Jesus Christ where he died for the kingdom. He had a physical death just because of his views and how much he loved Jesus. And so we start here, and if any of you have read Acts chapter 9, this is the most transformative chapter I see in the New Testament, where you just see this guy that we all put on a list. If I asked every single one of you, put someone in your head that could not be converted, that would never be a Christian for whatever reason, that's the person God wants you to be a part of help saving. That's Paul here. Because it starts with, but Saul, he's not Paul yet, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues, synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that, that's people following Christ, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now he went on his way and he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, saw nothing. So they laid him by the hand, and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. How does that start? Saul's here threatening murder 
He stopped on the road. And let me give you some context. This is right after Saul oversaw stoning of Stephen, one of the first martyrs. Stephen was stoned to death. And the direct follow-up from that is, we hear, but Saul was still breathing threats. He already killed a Christian. He's still breathing threats. And it's right after he's stoned. And he's still doing this. He's heard of Jesus. He heard about what Jesus had done. He heard about what Jesus claimed to be. Jesus claimed to be God. Well, that's blasphemy to the Jews. No, we can't say that. But he, and he wasn't just anybody. You know, think about it. This is a guy that had access to the Pope. Let's talk about modern terms because the high priest is like the Pope. It's like he's the one person that is above everybody in the religious world. He has access to the high priest and he asks for the letters that would give him authority to arrest them. And he says, let me bind them. You know how embarrassing it is to be bound and carried out through a town? He wanted everyone to see his power, the power that he had, that the high priest was behind him. And he's not really, he's not called Paul yet. He's called Saul. But if, if you're familiar with Paul, he wrote a majority of the New Testament. This is the guy that wrote majority of the New Testament, empowered by God, inspired through the Holy Spirit to do that. And yet he's trying to kill believers here. He goes to Damascus to arrest and murder believers. And then he's on the road and he stops. And some of you have heard this before, but there's some facts that just blow my mind when I read this passage. He gets there, he falls to the ground because he sees a bright light. And then he, well, and so what's interesting, okay, near Eastern world, they didn't really travel at night. So this light is, has to be so bright that it blinds him in daylight. That's powerful. That's only from God. And then this voice starts with something that would be annoying if anyone did that to us. So if you walk up to me and say, John, John, after service, I'm going to be really annoyed. But he says, Saul, Saul, for emphasis, because we see Jesus in the Gospels say, truly, truly, I say to you, it's a matter of emphasis. It's like, it's like your parents calling you by your full name, okay? <laughs> you know you're in trouble. Well, with Jesus, it's, I'm emphasizing that you need to listen right now. So he says, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? This voice is there, and I tried to put myself in Saul's shoes for a second. Saul's sandals, sorry. That's a tongue twister. Saul's sandals. Try to put myself in Saul's sandals. And imagine hearing this voice, why are you persecuting me? And I don't think I would have responded the way he did. I probably had a heart attack, a panic attack, or respiratory failure, okay? Because there's a voice talking to me, and there's a bright light that is, is so bright that I can't even look at. And I'm on the middle of a road in the middle of daylight and I can't do anything. But then he musters up this question to the bright light. Who are you, Lord? Every single one of us is going to have to ask that question someday. Who are you, Jesus? Who are you? Who are you, Lord? And then Jesus identifies himself as the one whom Saul has been persecuting. Let's think about this for a second. If you look at the whole of the New Testament, the church is described as the bride of Jesus Christ. When you mess with the bride, you're messing with Jesus. And if you're part of the church, if, you're, if you've followed Christ with your life, if when you're messing with Jesus is there, 
and he's fighting for you. So men, I want to ask you a question. It's rhetorical, so don't answer. If you shout it out, your wife may be embarrassed. So when someone messes with your wife, don't you run to protect her? Some people are saying no. Okay, all right. No, I'm just kidding. You run to protect her. You defend her. When we're messed with, church, Jesus Christ is battling for us. We can't forget that. You see what's happening here? He's converting the person that is persecuting the Christians the most because the Christians are being persecuted on his behalf. Our first response, when someone says something about your wife, the first response is to fight. Any husbands ever get in a fight? (laughs) What do you say about my wife? Come on. And Jesus is here saying, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this? And, and, and the response here by, by Saul is amazing. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And he moves on, and we'll talk about that in a second. But as Jesus is fighting for us, he's still fighting for us when we're struggling, when we have nothing left, when we're left out, when we're passed up for a promotion, when we lose our job, when we lose our home, when we don't have any friends, when we don't have anything left. And Saul, whether he realizes it or not, in that moment is very Jesus poor. He's persecuting Jesus because he doesn't understand. And so I have, I have a question. I've been asked this question before. Have you had a Damascus Road experience? And what that means is, essentially, I, I don't mean a dramatic moment and experience in time, but it, it, Damascus Road experience is, is both a moment and a, and a journey. It's both a moment and a journey. Have you met Jesus? And then Saul's response is really the first miracle. So there's the first miracle here. Jesus says, even though you are persecuting me, get up and go. Saul, the very next moment, is sent by Jesus. Jesus knew what was in his heart. Jesus knew that he would listen. Jesus knew that if he told him to get up and go, he was going to go. Isn't that, I mean, doesn't that strike you as weird? This is the same guy that literally 30 seconds earlier, before this interaction, was going to kill people. And kill people that followed the same voice that was talking to him. That's a miracle. It's a, a but God moment. But God stepped in. And Saul listened to the voice of Jesus. And Saul had these other men around him. You ever ever wonder what they're thinking? Well, it tells us a little bit about what they saw. And so they saw the, the voice. They heard the voice. Sorry, they heard the voice. They saw Saul fall to the ground, and that's it. I'm telling you what happens next and how they help him makes no sense. My friends would run away, okay? I'm just throwing this out there. You hear a voice, and you hear someone fall to the ground, claim that they see a blinding light. I'm like, dude, Saul's crazy. Let's get out of here. We're going away, back to Jerusalem, away from Damascus. Let's run. But instead, they stay. And I'll tell you, there's something different about Jesus. They heard an audible voice from Jesus. They didn't see the light. They didn't see what Paul or Saul saw. And they take him. Instead of running scared, they take him to Damascus. They take him to the same town that he was coming to kill, the people that now he's going to be with. And so Saul is being, he's blind at this point. 
So he decides to fast from food and water for three days. And in that culture, I mean, fasting was, was a very um, religious pursuit. Those people would fast because they were spending more time devoted to the Lord. And so I think, I think this is a very positive thing. And as I've read about this, some people see this as like, well, he had remorse for persecuting Christians. He was killing men and women. It wasn't, it wasn't something that like, really, we can, we can sugarcoat here. He was killing people. And so I have a question in this. Those men, they didn't run. They helped Paul. And we, we don't actually see them again. After they drop off Saul, they don't, you don't, we don't see him again. What is your response to Jesus' voice? When you read the word of God and you see who he is, what is your response? Did you believe? And I'm using the past tense. Did you believe? But maybe are you going to believe? Saul believed in God, but not in Jesus, if you notice. Now he believes in Jesus. So who do you say Jesus is? He thought Jesus was one of many other messiahs and really didn't mean anything. Otherwise, he wouldn't go and murder the people that followed him because he said, I'm going I'm to chase after them. I'm going to stone all of them. Since Saul has now done what Jesus told him to do, he's listening to the voice of Jesus. He's on the journey of becoming a ministry partner. Instead of running, he listened. He turned to Jesus. And so really, the first step to being a ministry partner is they are all a part of God's family. And step one is to turn to Jesus. We can turn away all our lives. We can be like Saul. And, I, you know, we can weave and go every which way. But the reality is we have to come back to one fact. If we're going to partner together as a church in the community and serve others and help others and see God move through each one of us, we're going to have to turn to Jesus. And that's the first thing that happens. And so at this point in verse 9, Saul is blind. This is kind of a sad story so far. Saul is blind. We're, we're in a bad spot. He's fasting after meeting Jesus. And so Jesus goes to Ananias. And he gives him some instructions in verse 11. He says, you're going to heal Saul of his blindness. Jesus even goes so far to say that Saul is going to know suffering for the sake of Jesus. Some of you may have heard this before where you, you've given your faith your, your, your faith to Jesus Christ. You trust in Jesus Christ for, for everything and you encounter suffering and you go, this can't be coming as a result of my faith or my life's supposed to be easier as a result. But they know here very clearly that Paul, Saul, is suffering for the sake of Jesus. And when we turn to Jesus, it's not the end of suffering, but it's the beginning of being a part of God's family. It's not going to relieve all the broken relationships you have. It's going to give you an avenue to mend some of those relationships. And that's what's changing. So we get to verse 18, and Ananias and Paul is in Damascus, and something miraculous happens again. Acts chapter 9, verse 18. And immediately... Something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and he rose and was baptized. Taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of all those who called on his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? 
But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by providing, proving that Jesus was the Christ. I think it's very interesting. You want to see God move through you? Listen to what he says in his word. Ananias. Who's Ananias? Who's this guy? I don't know. Look in the Bible. See what else he does. Ananias is somehow God calls on Ananias to heal Saul because he was waiting to listen to the voice of God. He believed that God was going to do something. And so he's waiting, and then it happens. And so what's the first thing Saul does after this? That is a rhetorical question, but you can answer. So he, he's baptized. That's the, literally the first thing. He's un, uh, he, they take the scales off his eyes, and he gets baptized. So publicly identifying with Jesus... In that moment, he was baptized in front of the very people he was planning on murdering. You talk about that as a backward story. That makes no sense. But that's what God does sometimes. You know, earlier when I had you guys think of someone that was so far that you thought never could come to faith in Jesus Christ, that person coming to faith in Jesus Christ is a reality in God's world. It's a possibility. It's something that can happen. In ours, sometimes it can't. So he eats food because he, he needs strength. And some time passes here. It says many days. And then the first thing he does after these many days of, of sitting, watching the disciples, he starts telling others about Jesus. You know what's interesting about this? Is the Bible doesn't, many times we just get the bare minimum details. And for some reason, there's two lines here that are so, so important about what the people are thinking. People start to be amazed. This guy is just, where, where, isn't this Saul? We know he has letters to, to bind us up and take us and kill us. Isn't this the, the one man sent to persecute Jesus' followers? He came to attack Jesus, and he, came, he left preaching about Jesus. That's what church is right there, guys. When we come Sunday morning, we may come in and we may have our anxieties and we got in a fight in the car and everything's going on. And, and we come in here and we don't have a good spirit. We're, we're, we're angry. We're frustrated. We don't, we don't know. Maybe you were invited by someone and you're like, what's this crazy man flapping his arms around on stage? Whatever it is. And we leave because Saul comes in to, to attack and to persecute. He's struggling. And the next minute, he's preaching about Jesus. There's amazement when someone is saved and changed. Let's use Saul's example. It, it, there's something about this that is amazing. Saul's example is, when we're convicted about something, speak about it. Super easy. When we're convicted about something, speak about it. And I would tell you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, the, the standard that we set is on the whole of Scripture, the whole Bible. So if your conviction comes from whatever, you talk to someone on, I don't know, I'm going to use the word fake news, fake news, you made something up. That's, that's not from the Word of God. But when you have conviction from the Word of God, people want to hear about that. People want to know when there's life change. Because it leads people to the power of Jesus. It's not about me as the pastor. It's not about being on a church staff. It's not about coming every Sunday morning. 
They want to see the power of Jesus. And let me, let me say this. I need to be very careful in how I say this. People don't first want to know your Bible knowledge. They want to hear a God's story in your life. They may want to know your Bible knowledge. I'm not saying that that's not good. We need to study the word of God. But what my point is, the first question I have from people that don't follow Jesus is not, hey, what verses do you have for me? Because they don't even know what a verse is. They ask me, well, you keep talking about God. What is God doing in your life? Why, are, why do you go to church? Why are you following Jesus? And the, people want to know that. And I think if we look at Saul, we have to realize that no story, no one's story is too evil, too dark, too bad, too destructive to be changed by Jesus Christ. No one is too far gone. There's nothing in your past that God can't redeem. Saul went from killing people that claimed that Jesus was God, the great blasphemy according to the Jews. He's the man sent to murder Christians, and now he's telling other Christians and other people just on the street and in the synagogue, imagine that, that Jesus is God. Paul's confounding the Jews because he's, they, no one stopped him preaching right away because honestly, I bet you a lot of people were sitting there in shock that person you have in your head, imagine them up here preaching. Would that freak you out a little bit? You'd be like, anyone, jaws drop? Like, I can't believe that person's up there doing that. They'd be in shock. And so ministry partners are part of God's family. Step two of being a ministry partner is to be baptized. That's the first thing Saul does. He regains his sight, which is a miracle, and then he gets baptized. He doesn't eat first. He gets baptized and he eats. Isn't that interesting? It mattered to him so much that that's the first thing he did. He was baptized publicly identifying with Jesus. That's step two of being a ministry partner. So I have a question for you today. It's a question you may have been asked before. Have you been baptized? What does that look like? Have you been baptized when you, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you got baptized? Have you done that? If, Talk to Pastor Aaron or myself after service. Let's have a conversation about that. Because if you haven't, look at Saul's example. What does he do right away? I don't know why we wait sometimes. Like, why does he do right away? And Saul outstays his welcome here. I'm not going to read the verse to you, but right, right after this, he outstays his welcome, and the disciples whisk him away to Jerusalem. He gets out of Damascus because people start trying to murder him. You know, Saul's gone from the one that wants to murder believers to the one that is getting persecuted by the very same people he came with. He lost all his friends. So sometimes when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to lose some things. And life's going to be harder for a period of time. Maybe the rest of your life. You may lose friendships. You may lose family members. You know, I've, I've had family members that, because of what I do, don't really want to talk to me about like five different topics because they know like everything's, I'm like, no, I don't agree with you on that. Or here's, here's what the research I have or what it, whatever it might be. They don't want to talk to me because they know what I'm going to say. They know I'm going to go back to the word of God instead of whatever their standard is, which varies, it's relative. And so you're going to lose some things. You're going to have some people that are going to look at you like, what happened to them? But I hope that what happened to them turns into I want to be more like that because whatever that is, I want it. And they may be able to ask the question later. They're more like Jesus. And you may be able to tell them why. 
you've made life change. So we get to the end here of chapter 9. Near the end, sorry, near the end. Verse 28. Paul's on the run. He's preaching boldly the name of Jesus Christ. And then it says in verse 28 through 31, So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, speaking, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And I want you to hear something here, right at the end here, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had what? They had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Multiplication's great. You know, I had someone tell me once that there's two types of people. There's multipliers, and there's subtractors. (laughs) Multipliers are people that come around and encourage you. Don't enable you, but they encourage you. Sometimes there's some tough love. And subtractors are people that come around and Basically, everything is negative, right? Some people call that toxic, but I, you know, I'm just using math equations. Multiply versus subtract. And now Saul's back in Jerusalem. Here's what's interesting. Didn't he just come from Jerusalem where the high priest was? He came back to the place that he got the letters to go to Damascus to kill Christians, and he's back with the high priest. And I bet you this is what's happening in the high priest, like in the, in the temple. What is going on? Saul's back, and he's talking about Jesus, and what's going on? What happened? We sent him to go persecute them. I mean, there's got to be some major freaking out. And probably as much as when Jesus was brought before them before. And then he doesn't just stop there. He starts debating those that had adopted Greek culture, the Hellenists. He starts debating, and he's bold. He didn't stop preaching when they're trying to kill him. The church told him to go somewhere else because they didn't want him murdered. I hope if someone was coming to murder me because of how bold I was about preaching, that you guys would get me out of here, okay? <laughs> All right? So, so they sent him out. They didn't just send him anywhere, though. So now he's, he's been at the place he was going to persecute people, preaching the gospel. He's been in Jerusalem, where he came from, the center of the Jewish culture, preaching the gospel. And now he's going back to Tarsus. Where is he from? Tarsus. He's going back to everyone that he went to high school with. Sorry, Jewish culture, there wasn't a high school, but whatever. He's going back. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to apply it to us. He's going back to see everyone that he went to high school with and saying, I've changed. I'm different. Look at me. It's all about Jesus. He's going back to the people he went to elementary school with and saying, oh, this is all about Jesus. And I know some of you have had those conversations with people you grew up with and you're like, they're like, whoa, you are so different. Whoa. Saul's gone to three of the most unlikely places to speak about Jesus right after he was going to murder the people he was speaking to. Three places. The place he was going to murder people, the, the, the center of the Jewish culture, Jerusalem, and Tarsus, his home. Can you imagine Saul's family? We paid for all your schooling, all these these Hebrew schools, and we, 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 you were so high in standing in the synagogue, and now look at you. We're ashamed of you. Because now you're preaching about Jesus. Hey, 
Something's changed. The end result of Saul's life change is that next verse. And I, don't, I know some people may separate those, but I really think that the end result here is very clear. It's peace. What happened before that? There was turmoil. There was persecution. There's going to be more persecution. We all know that. But Saul's conversion, him responding to Jesus, is peace. It says the second thing. The church was built up. The church was built up. It was being, being built up stronger. And you know what? People feared God. And I know it's not like a, a shaking in my boots fear, but it is because God is so big. He's, he's so much greater. We minimize who God is. But if, but if God can convert Saul, he can do anything. Think of that name earlier that you had in your head, that person. If God can convert blank, whoever that name is, he can do anything. That's what happened here on that day. That's what happened over this time in maybe a few weeks, maybe a month. That's what happened. If God can convert Saul, he can do anything. So we fear God because we are so amazed at what God has done here. So you guys might predict this. What's the third step about becoming a ministry partner? These are the first like, kind of core things. Tell God's story in your life. Tell others about what Jesus has done. Tell others about things that you're afraid of speaking to others about that you maybe even start with, I'm just being really vulnerable, and so I just need to tell you this because I, I really care about you. But I need to speak of the, the, the thing, the God that I serve more than anything else. So people want to hear about what God's doing in your life. And some of you may say, well, I've tried to tell people and they don't. Well, you know what? In the end, they might listen to the conversation. I've had many conversations, even in grocery stores, where other people are listening to us because of what we're talking about. They may not want to admit it, right? Teenagers, you don't ever want to listen, but you're actually listening all the time. You can repeat everything your parents say. I'm looking at some of you, teenagers. So, when you are rejected in those situations, this is the one thing you have to remember. You're being rejected, or Jesus is being rejected. They're not rejecting you. Sometimes we take it personal. They're rejecting Jesus. Why would, why would Jesus ever say, why are you persecuting me when he's killing believers? Because he's the groom and the bride is the church. Forever united in the same mission. And we can't forget that. Just like Saul did before he met Jesus. He didn't know. He rejected Jesus. He killed people as a result of his rejection. And so I want to I summarize these three steps. Very simple. Ministry partners need to turn to Jesus. Turning to Jesus is the first step. And what I mean by that, if you want to unpack it, the Bible says clearly, confess your sin. He will forgive you. And the response that we have to that is putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He is the end all for everything. When you don't have anything left, he's there. But he's also, as I preached about recently, he's the God of firsts. He's the first thing in our life. He's not the God of last resorts. And we need to remember that. So we need to turn to Jesus rather than run away. Saul was running. 
And Jesus met him on that road. And, and I bet if I asked all of you, none of you would say, I've seen Jesus in a bright light with a voice talking to me. That's not what this passage is, is just about. I mean, God did that, and that's miraculous. But the reality is, it's those still small moments when you're reading the word of God and you see something and it finally clicks about how the Holy Spirit's moving in your life, how God's moving in your life. Or maybe it clicks that I need Jesus. So if you're going to become a ministry partner, the biggest thing you need to do is turn to Jesus. And that second step that we get, we get caught up in is to be baptized. It's about publicly professing, publicly saying to everybody that I I follow Jesus. I follow Jesus. I follow Jesus in his miracles, but I also follow Jesus in his suffering. We don't want to admit that many times. And so being baptized is that second step. And then the third one, and sometimes the hardest, is telling God's story in our life. In our lives. In, in, in your life, God's story is different than in my life. But the central character of everyone's life is God. We want to make it us. We want to be the star. Saul wanted to be the star. And then all of a sudden, in all this chaos, Saul says, Jesus is God. He's the Son of God. He's the one come to save us. Don't you know he's the Messiah? He's the Savior. He's telling God's story as it's happening in his life. And so the most important fact is that before you become a ministry partner, you have to be part of the family of God. You can't partner with God unless you know him. Unless you have an active relationship with him. Unless, unless you take those, carve out those moments that you can. I have young children. Carve out those moments without distractions. Every single one of us right now could think of an excuse of why we can't carve out time to spend with God. But all those excuses can be overcome through Jesus. If your God is small, your excuses are going to overwhelm that. And so God is bigger than that. Saul's life is a great example of God partnering with someone that really should never be on the team, should never be a partner in our world. But in God's world, he can, he can do however he pleases. But the one thing I want you to hear is if you want to see God move through you, that specifically starts with you being a part of God's family. That specifically starts with that. And so I, I want to leave you with these questions. Have you met Jesus? Have you had, and again, some of us may be on the end of experience versus, um, you know, just, just reading the word of God and, and meeting Jesus that way, but have you actually met Jesus? Have you gotten the word? We just finished 21 days of reading in the Gospel of John. Have you met Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? A while back, we had a sermon where there was four chairs up on stage. And one chair was, you know, Jesus is a prophet. Another one was, well, Jesus is God. I just want him to serve me. You know, I want things. I'm going to pray for me. There's another chair after the cross where it was, it was I want to see God do things in me. And then there's another step. I want to see God do things through me. Who do you say Jesus is? Read the rest of Acts. Paul goes to Rome to his death 
because of how he met him on that road. That amount of conviction that he had. He was willing to sacrifice everything for Jesus. So who do you say Jesus is? And so this morning, what's your response to his voice? Maybe you, like Saul, are hearing that, that, that question, why are you persecuting me? You realize this whole time you've been really angry at God. Well, Jesus is talking to you. I've sent you. Forget about that. Did you believe what Jesus said? And this last question, this has nothing to do with your personality. This has everything to do with God. I grew up with a, a youth pastor that was extremely introverted, but I never knew it until I became friends with his son. And I realized he really did not like being around people, which is really ironic. He was a youth pastor and you're around people all the time. But he would always tell people about God's story in his life. So it's nothing to do with personality. Are you telling others God's story in your life? Are you telling others about those simple prayers that maybe no one really cares too much about that God has responded and answered? Are you telling God about those prayers that you've had for years, the things that your heart is burdened with? Have you told other believers to pray for you? Saul's response was peace. The church was being built up. They feared the, the God of the universe. Is that the result of you walking into a room? And again, I'm not, I'm not expecting everyone to be a preacher or whatever. Everyone has their giftedness. That's why we're a part of God's family. We're part of a body. We're, we all have different giftedness. And so are you telling others about God's story in your life? That's what we have to think about this week. As ministry partners, if we're going to partner together, that's the question we have to ask. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we might feel like Saul this morning, kind of overwhelmed, kind of not understanding what to do. We may be asking the question still, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Jesus? God, we need to make a change. We need to turn to you. We need to get baptized. We need to publicly tell everyone we're around that we have faith in Jesus Christ. And we need to tell your story in our life, God. We need to tell everyone about what you're doing. Heavenly Father, this morning, I, I just know that you are moving in this room. I know that, God, you are a, a big God. God that does things outside of anything that we could imagine. So I pray this morning that, that if, if there's those that have not turned to Jesus yet, that they would that your Holy Spirit would guide them. I pray that, that those that need to get baptized would, would be willing to take that step and I don't care how old you are or how young you are. God is making changes in our lives and we need to tell people about that. We need to be able to tell your story, God's story in our lives. 
God, we pray that you'd give us courage to do that, strength to do that. Give us the Holy Spirit to know when to do that. God, we thank you and we praise you this morning. We say this all in Jesus' name. Amen.